This is LiveWell Talk on colon cancer screening. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at United Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Excluding skin cancers, colorectal cancer is the third most commonly diagnosed cancer in the United States. Joining me today is Dr. Douglas Purdy, gastroenterologist with St. Luke's Gastroenterology, to discuss colon cancer signs, symptoms, and the importance of screening, and how to reduce your risk for cancer. Dr. Purdy, welcome. Thanks for having me, Dustin. Big, big shoes to fill. Yeah. Our, our retired colleague, Dean Abramson. So, you know, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll compare, you know, these two broadcasts. We'll, we'll see how they do. Don't compare you know, me to I, Dean, please. I, 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 I think you're going to do great. So I know we talked a little bit prior to the podcast, um, and we make the presumption, and it's a safe presumption, that the listeners are pretty sophisticated and they understand what colon cancer is, but could you just kind of give us just a brief overview? What, what, what is colon cancer and how does it start? Sure. So colon cancer is a malignant tumor of the lower GI tract. You know, we're talking about the colon, the lower eight inches or so of the colon we call the rectum. So sometimes you'll, you'll hear people say, refer to colon cancer as colorectal cancer, same thing. And it starts as a small benign polyp a precancerous polyp, which could be, you know, a millimeter or so in size. And over years, that can slowly develop and grow and turn into a colon cancer. And in the lay public, as well as in the medical literature, um, people are presenting younger and younger with colon cancer. Is that true? That's correct. Um, you know, col- uh, colon cancer, we all, we, we, we've always thought of it as being a, a disease of older people. But over the past several years, uh, it's, it's been noticed that people younger than age 50 are developing colon cancer a lot more often. Um, the people over 50, the, the incidence of colon cancer over 50 over the past several years has been decreasing about 2 to 3% a year. But over that same period of time, patients younger than 50, especially the 45 to 50-year-old age group, it's been increasing about 2% per year. I think the, the hesitation to get the screening colonoscopy is, is part of it. Uh, part of it, people are just so busy. I mean, I didn't get my screening colonoscopy till this year. I'm 53. I knew I needed it at 50. I just didn't get it done. And it wasn't, and it was important. I wasn't afraid of it, you know, just logistically, just that's how things go. And so we, we really want to stress, you know, that the screening colonoscopy may be, be a day out of your life, but it's could extend your life. And it's, uh, the inconvenience of colonoscopy a lot better than having surgery and chemotherapy for colon cancer, right? You know, exactly. So, um, but I, I think, you know, you go from that being in your 30s and your 40s, and you really don't have chronic medical problems, and then you start to get in your 50s and 60s, and there's a transition period in there where you, denial maybe is the best way to describe it. So what are some uh, motivated interviewing tactics or or when you meet with people to talk to a younger person that this is why you need a colonoscopy? What's some of your strategies? Well, as as they get you know, closer to 45 in their early 40s, 50, uh, closer to 45, you know, just tell them that the uh, risk of colon cancer increases with age. And uh, it's, you know, you're much better off to get a screening exam, like a screening colonoscopy, where we can find these polyps in very early stages when they're 
benign, precancerous, but yet still benign, and we can remove those and totally prevent colon cancer. Uh, colonoscopies and removing polyps is really the only way to prevent colon cancer. And it's one of the few screening tests we have. I'm going to, other than bronchoscopy, and we don't, well, we don't really do bronchoscopy for screening. Um, it, I mean, it's one of the few screening tests is also screening, but also therapeutic and diagnostic at the same time, right? You know, you could see the precancerous polyp, right. remove it. Um, so it's, so if you kind of war game this out a little bit, actually the colonoscopy probably is more efficient use of the patient's time than would be other uh, imaging studies that lead to more and more testing. Right. There are other screening studies that you can do for colon cancer. You can do a simple test that, uh, that tests for occult blood in the stool. It's called a FIT test. Um, that'll pick up, I believe, somewhere like around maybe 72, 74% of colon cancers, but we'll miss a, a, a large percentage of significant polyps that could turn to colon cancer, you know, maybe in, a, in anywhere from one to three years. So there's just screening for occult blood. There's the Cologuard, which I'm sure everybody's heard. It's on TV all, all the time. And the cute little commercials. Yeah, exactly. That screen, that, that looks at uh, two main things, uh, occult blood or hidden, hidden blood in the stool, as well as altered DNA in the stool, which would suggest maybe a colon cancer. And they say that's maybe 92% effective in finding colon cancers, but only, a, only about like 42% uh, effective in finding large polyps of the colon. So again, you know, missing a significant number of large polyps that can turn to colon cancer. Yeah, I, I think that's the, that's, if there's one item that people take away from this podcast, I hope they understand that the, the fit, te- the stool test, they hopefully f- find the cancer early on, but they don't prevent cancer. Where the colonoscopy, if you had that right. precancerous pop removed, right. you have prevented cancer. Right. If you have one of these other tests, a FIT test or a Cologuard, and it's positive, then you really should have a colonoscopy to have the colon actually looked at and examined. And then, then they can see, are there polyps in there that need to be removed? And you know, if, by removing those polyps, that's what prevents the colon cancer. Um, and then if there is a, if there is a, a mass or a tumor, then that would be biopsied to make the official diagnosis of colon cancer or not. And that comes back in a couple of days after you do the biopsy? What, how yeah, long? they're usually pretty good. I mean, you can, you can request it to, for a 24 hour read and call, but on average, they're really, mo- the pathologists are really good here at, uh, St. Luke's and most of our pathology results are coming back in almost 24 hours anyway. Yeah. That's reassuring to the yeah. patient. Yeah, you know, no matter how much you might say this looks precancerous, there, that it's important to the patient for right. obvious reasons. So, in your experience, which what thirty years in practice? Uh, yeah, I've, I started in ninety four, so okay. we're going coming on twenty nine years. Yeah, yeah twenty nine so years this summer. Up, coming up on thirty here. Yeah, not too long. Up. Well, how how do people with colon cancer usually present? So it can really uh, it can really vary. It could be uh, somebody has uh, a change in their bowel habits. You know, they've been regular all their life, and all of a sudden something's changed one way or another that gets them to see their doctor. Rectal bleeding is a big one. Um, abdominal pain. Um, a lot of times they'll have no symptoms other than say iron deficiency anemia. You know, when we see when a patient uh, gets referred to me for iron deficiency anemia, an adult patient. 
usually I tell them the number one diagnosis on my list till proven otherwise is colon cancer. Yeah. So I mean, really iron deficiency anemia is a big one we want to check the colon. But then we also have to remember, you know, a fair number of people, especially with the earlier stages of colon cancer, have no symptoms at all. And that's where screening colonoscopy plays a big role in picking those patients up at the early stage of colon cancer rather than waiting till it turns more advanced maybe and starts starts causing symptoms. Yeah, early on it's, well, over my career, which is 1990, what year did you start? I started here in 94. 94. I started in 96 in Grinnell. So, um, but that, you know, we, we've come along with the survivability of colon cancer has improved. I mean, it's pretty dramatic, really. Right. Um, but, but still the, the, the ability to prevent something, I think is just the phenomenal take home point here that you have the opportunity. You're at high risk because you have a Western diet, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and you have risk factors, uh, you live in a, a, a first first world society, so you have all the the luxuries that go along with that. But you also have the risks that go along with mm-hmm. that, and uh, this is an opportunity to actually prevent it. I I, I just find it amazing. Part of it might be yeah. I had mine this fall, precancerous polyps taken right. off. You know, I mean, my a colon cancer was prevented right exactly with that procedure exactly. Yeah, you talked about the risk factors. I just briefly mentioned those, but you know, we kind of group those into what we call modifiable and non-modifiable. Um, the non-modifiable risk factors, you know, there's not much you can do about it. It would be, you know, age. As you get older, it gets a, a, a little more risk. Um, if you have type two diabetes, uh, that puts you at a little higher risk. Um, blacks are higher risk for for colon polyps, colon cancer. If you have a family history of colon polyps or colon cancer, especially uh, first degree relative, 60 or younger, or if you have two first degree relatives of any age, that puts you at higher risk. And we, we usually start screening well before age 45. If you yourself have a history of polyps, well, that puts you at, at risk for more polyps and even colon cancer in the future. So that's something you need to have your, your colon uh, you know, checked regularly. So those are things, you know, what we call the non-modifiable. And then there's what we call modifiable risk factors. That would be things like they say that uh, sedentary lifestyle increases your risk of colon cancer. Um, Obesity increases your risk. Uh, Diets that are inadequate in dietary fiber. Diets that are high in red meats, you know, like uh, beef, pork, lamb, liver, or diets that are high in processed meats like hot dogs, certain lunch meats. Um, smoking is a risk factor and have moderate to heavy alcohol use is also a risk factor for colon cancer. So those are all things, you know, that, you know, the patient can kind of try to do something about, you know, to try to decrease their risk of colon cancer. In fact, uh, ulcerative colitis Crohn's, we didn't even mention that. Didn't mention all. that, but that's a good, a good, good point. Uh, personal history of inflammatory bowel disease Um, especially ulcerative colitis, uh, if it involves a a greater extent of your colon, if it involves, you know, most of the colon, that puts you at higher risk, especially after you've had it for several years. We usually uh, tell a patient once they've had uh, ulcerative colitis that involves most of their colon for eight years or more, then we usually start doing surveillance colonoscopies about every year or two. Um, You know, that's another, uh, maybe we should mention, you know, if you have inflammatory bowel disease, uh, fit testing is not for no, you. No, it's not you know? at all. And so just yeah. to stress to patients that if you have that, you need to be 
Hopefully they're under the care of a gastroenterologist and they're being seen regularly, which that, that would be, that would they know. Well, Doug, I think you are doing a number one job in a number two business. Isn't that uh, the same? Thank you. I'm doing my best. Yeah. yeah. But what, what got you into gastroenterology? You know, it's, uh, um, during my uh, internal medicine, well, during med school and internal medicine, we, we were exposed to it a little bit. And I just thought it was very interesting because it's uh, it's just got such a vast, a diverse uh, uh, amount of diseases in it, you know, and, and, and patients that you could see, um, you know, the luminal GI tract, the, the liver, the pancreas, the bile ducts. Uh, and we are exposed to patients of all ages. We start seeing patients about age 18 all the way up, you know, through their life. And um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a specialty where I think you can really help patients. You know, they come in with, with certain problems. You know, they can't swallow food. They're getting food stuck. You know, you do an upper scope, you diagnose a stricture, you stretch it open put them on medication for acid reflux and they feel 100% better. So it's, you know, I think you can really, as a gastroenterologist, you can really make an impact in people's lives. Uh, some people with like, say, inflammatory bowel disease, you may, you'll, you'll see them maybe for your whole career because they're patients that, you know, usually come back, you know, every year and follow up with you. So it's just been a very, uh, I think, rewarding career. Good for uh, you. Yeah, you guys get pretty possessive with those inflammatory bowel disease patients because you've just seen them for so long, yeah, that's, yeah. you know, and that, that's, that's always uh, good to be part of that team. Well, Doug, I, I, Dean's got some competition. You did a great job. I'm Thank glad you. you were here today. Thanks. Uh, once again, this is Dr. Douglas Purdy. He is a gastroenterologist with St. Luke's Gastroenterology. To learn more about screening, uh, visit unipoint.org backslash colon. If you've been diagnosed with colon cancer, any type of cancer, call the NASF Community Cancer Center at 319-558-4876 or visit communitycancercenter.org. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.